0: I know people who are big Disney fans. I happen to not be one. I mean, it's fine. It's just not my thing. But I have people in my life who who, uh, love all that stuff. But I do know that in 1997 that Disney introduced an animated feature film called Hercules. And um, I I doubt that I've seen it. I I almost never see a a movie or a film uh, like that anyway, or much of any other kind. But there was a song that came from that film that was sung by Michael Bolton, and it's called Go the Distance. And some of the lyrics to the tune went like this. It says, I have often dreamed of a far-off place where a hero's welcome would be waiting for me, where the crowds would cheer when they see my face, and a voice keeps saying, this is where I'm meant to be. I'll be there someday because I can go the distance. I will find my way if I can be strong. I know... Every mile would be worth my while when I go the distance. I'll be right where I'll belong. Down an unknown unknown road to embrace my fate, though that road may wander, it will lead me to you. And a thousand years would be worth the wait. It might take a lifetime, but somehow I'll see it through, and I won't look back. I can go the distance, and I'll stay on track. No, I won't accept defeat. It's an uphill slope, but I won't lose hope until I go the The Distance. That's the title of my message to you today. And I need you to pray for me because this message is fraught with rabbit trails. And I'm guessing you would like to be out of here sometime before the concert tonight. So I'm going to resist every urge to uh, go down the rabbit trails that are there for me. Now, I'm not proclaiming this to be a Christian song necessarily, nor is it something that I think that should be put in our hymnal. Uh, A hymnal is those things we used to sing out of. There's had hymns in them. Uh, I'm quite sure the song has other implications. Nonetheless, uh, the song sets our minds this morning, not so much on the flashy sprinter who can wow us with his or her dynamic speed for shorter distances, and we've all seen that, but rather it it talks to us about the marathon runner who along uh, the long and arduous journey of a long-distance run is often tempted to give up. Or to be satisfied with stopping at any number of places that are short of the ultimate finish line. And that's true in life for all of us. There are lots and lots of exit ramps along the freeway along the the freeways, the highway of our life. And so often they are those exit ramps, and just beyond them at the exit there's these flashing lights, or for some of us it's the golden arches um, that lure us, or for Becky it's a Dairy Queen sign, Uh, we always like to stop there. And whatever it is, there's all kinds of attractions that would say, you need to stop here, You need to get off the freeway here and and to take the exit. They're tempting you to take your eyes off the goal and to not go the distance. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to more of the Christmas narrative, which we find in Matthew chapter 2. Turn it in your Bibles to Matthew 2. I'm sure it will also be here on the screen. So I read starting at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the t- that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of, relig- of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, can we just pause there one second and get the juice out of this verse? A ruler who will shepherd. You would think a ruler would rule Police would police, governors would govern, but we're not speaking of just any ordinary man. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and it is interesting that he is a ruler who would shepherd. You need to marinate in that for just a little bit and put that in your, your, uh, your thinking cap for a while. Let me go on with verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me too, so that I can go and worship him also. Not true. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. We used to sing a long time ago. Sorry, it's always a song. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. We sang that for years around here. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold and, and yes, in the day and age in which we now live, folks, we have the internet, which... Um, not only gives us the critical news, and the headline news of the nations and the world, but I know you know, as I do, that typically in that same forum, there's also little interesting side articles that can be there, usually with some catchy phrase that will get your attention and make you want to click on that, oh, what is that all about, and, and though it may not necessarily be the headline news. Well, sometime back, there was one such story indicating that all over the country at Christmas time, something's been happening the last few years. There are those who have been stealing the baby Jesus from nativity scenes. There was one such case in Florida where it happened two years in a row... Baby Jesus had been stolen from the same place, and then it happened a, a third year. And obviously, the place, this place that was hosting the nativity was replacing baby Jesus year after year. And it was costly for them. I don't know what this particular baby Jesus was made out of, but the report says, this article, the fact was they were spending $1,800 every year in replacing the Christ child. And so they finally got smart after it happened three years in a row, and they installed a GPS inside baby Jesus. <laughs> determined they would not they were not going to lose him again. This is costing too much. And so with the GPS Jesus, yes, the police showed up at the house. They retrieved the $1,800 baby Jesus. They arrested the Jesus stealer. they put her behind bars, and then Jesus got back in the manger. Hallelujah. And that same internet news piece, there was another case in Arkansas, where the thieves not only stole the plastic Jesus, but this Jesus was connected by a chain to a concrete block. The thieves took the block, the chain, and the baby Jesus back to their house. So for whatever reason, Baby Jesus and the nativity seems to be getting stolen all over the country the last few years this has happened. Some, you know, you can come to your own conclusion. Some may be pawning them for money, or some may be simply wanting to deface the property in some way. But the article that I was reading indicated that in most of these situations, when they dug into them and found out why, why would you do this, why it was going on, it was a protest for those who want Christ out of Christmas, That shouldn't really be all that surprising to us. But just like our text shows us this morning in Matthew 2, when you take Jesus out, not only of this story, but of any story that's part of your life, then the end does not happen where you kneel, bow, and worship the King of Kings. When you remove him, When you take him out, then you do not get to that end. You do not go the distance to that end where you kneel, bow, and worship. Because when he is removed, then the creature is in charge and the creator is pushed aside. Now, it's not also a surprise to us that we live in a society where a baby in a manger is more greatly preferred than the king of kings on the throne. Did you know that? We live in a society that would prefer to have a pine tree decorated with lights and tinsel and ornaments than a tree on Golgotha that is desecrated with the blood-covered Savior who is redeeming the world. That's what they would prefer. We live in a society that would rather have a Santa Claus with access to your chimney than a God who has access to your heart. How many know I'm telling you the truth today? And... They would rather have a season of the year than a God who's asking for a lifestyle from you for every day. And if you pull Jesus out, then man gets to do whatever man wants to do, which in the end will lead to utter destruction. We know what Proverbs Proverbs says, uh, chapter 16, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. When you remove Jesus from any aspect of your life, then man gets to do what man wants to do. Rabbit trail number one. Do you know what that's called? I, you know, I, I, was, I was just praying over this message and looking at it and going through and trying to throw out extras I need to throw out this morning, which is what I do on Sunday morning when I arrive here. And I was praying through it and said, Lord, let, let me uh, get rid of what doesn't need to be said and be sure I say what does need to be said. And I don't like this word It's not a pretty word, but it's a poignant word. And when man gets to do what man wants to do, when we choose to do that, there's a word for that, and it's called defiance. Not pretty, but it's the truth. Defiance is an outward, open indication of defying the authority of your life or the authority in a situation. It's called defiance. I don't like the word any in, in, in more than you do. It's got some kind of a sting to it that's not very, very nice. But I'm telling you the truth today. But looking at the first two verses of our text, I want us to see why the wise men were truly so wise. Let me look at it again. Jesus was born, verse 1. In Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod about that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking where is the newborn king of the Jews now I I want you to see with me in this text this morning there's some miracles taking place some pretty incredible miracles there's the obvious one there's the miracle of the virgin birth That's a miracle. We see that right here in these first couple of verses. Then there's the the sheer miracle of God leaving the splendor of heaven and coming to earth. But there's another miracle, miracle, miracle here that you may or may not have noticed, and I want you to see it. Let's not miss the other great miracle that's in this very verse when we see this. That is the miracle of men asking for directions. And all the ladies said. That's the most passionate you've been all morning. For what man would ever ask for directions? Verse 2 continues. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Would you say that with me? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship to work. One more time, and obviously I have a reason. We saw His star as it rose, and we have come. Let me very briefly remind you of something I tried to communicate last week, albeit not too well. God is multilingual. He knows your language. He knows how to get to you. No matter where you are on this planet, no matter where you come from, what city, state, or country you come from, your background never keeps God out. God doesn't just speak English. He doesn't just speak Hebrew. God can speak any language to get to your soul. How many are thankful for it today? That's the miracle of Jesus he leaves no one out who is seeking him. We know the Bible says if you seek him, you will you will find him. And he helps you find him. He helps you to seek him. He knows exactly how to get to you or get you to himself. And again, this is a bit of a recap. But the shepherds heard the glorious news not from a star, but from the angel choir. The angels came to the shepherds heralding the news that unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. But that's not how the wise men got the news. The magi, or wise men, they don't get the news from the angel choir. No, they got it from a star. Now, I understand it's possible that my sensitivity to this uh, whole language thing is heightened due to the fact that we have four cu- cultures going on on this campus and worshiping in at this very hour in on this campus are four languages going on and I I personally get so much uh, reward and joy out of hearing the various languages that are on this campus. I stood and watched a couple of people speak in Spanish and I kind of st- walked into their conversation they, they thought I was going to say something. I said I just want you to talk. I just want to hear the language because it's so beautiful. And so they looked at me kind of weird and they went on, you know. So I know that my sensitivity is heightened to all of that. But here's the wonderful thing. God knows them all. He's interested in them all. And he knows how to get all of them to himself. God knew that magi from Babylon didn't believe in angels, but they believed in stars. So God said, let's talk to them in star language to get them to Jesus. And since the shepherds were Jewish, they don't speak star language, but they speak the language of angels because they know the Old Testament. And they know that God spoke through for hundreds of years through angels. And so if God had spoken to them in stars, they wouldn't get it. Have you ever been involved in a conversation that you just kind of go right over your head or you just didn't notice it or just didn't get it? Even if it was in English, that happens. They might have just ignored it or passed right by it. And so to the shepherds, he speaks in angels. To the wise men, he speaks in stars. To the Swahili speaking Africans this morning, he's speaking Swahili. To the French, he's speaking French. And to the Hispanics, he knows how to say Gloria adios. Pretty good, huh? The star gets the magi to Jesus. The angels get the shepherds to Jesus. And God not only knows how to speak to you in English, he knows the way to get your attention because his goal is to get you to Jesus. And let me be clear about it today. I don't know how much more I can elucidate this for you, but God will speak your language. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. He's not intimidated by your accent. He's not stopped by your borders. He can't be halted by security systems. He's not afraid of a Muslim country. He's not afraid of a Buddhist nation. God can get you to Jesus today because he knows your language. Hallelujah. The climax of all history is the coming of the Christ child to earth to accomplish his purpose. Therefore, because the word became flesh, he will be acknowledged. But remember this, church. Oh, I don't have that screen. I got that screen. Okay. But remember this. Wherever Jesus is present, there's always a Herod trying to remove him from the throne. Hello? Wherever Jesus is present, there's always a Herod trying to remove him from the throne. And why is that? It's very simply this. Because Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to the system. He's a threat to the culture. From the President of the United States to the mullahs of Islamic countries, Jesus is always a threat. And here's why. Because whoever comes to him must bow before him. Our text shows us well that whenever the king of kings shows up, there's always another king trying to remove him. Our text shows us the newborn king of the Jews and King Herod and the deceptive spirit of Herod is, is pro- that he's promising to worship while all the time his intention is to destroy. And here today at the close of 2016, we have much the same situation. We are living in a society, in case you don't know it, we are living in a society that's trying to remove him. Ever increasingly so. And why is that? Why would you be so intimidated to put up a nativity scene on government property? Why are you afraid to put a little baby in a manger on government property? Why is the Supreme Court afraid of that little baby in a manger? From the White House to Congress all the way to our city councils. They say that no government property can put that little baby on display. And I would propose that it's because somehow, some way, they know that more is going on with him than just a baby in a manger. I think somehow they know That baby is God in the flesh who has come to set people free and to bring men and women to their knees. You can say whatever you want to say about those godless people making decisions and that they're clueless about this and clueless about that, and that may be true to a degree, but I believe somehow they know that there's something about Jesus that is unique and different because the Bible tells us this, eternity is in our souls. Eternity is in our souls. There is a hungering and a thirst within every one of us. We just don't all know what we're hungering and thirsting for, or we are choosing to satisfy that hunger and thirst in some other way. But eternity is in your soul. And there's something inside us that tells us this is no ordinary baby. And so they've got to find a way to get rid of him. It's happening when Christ was born in the days of Herod, and it's happening right here in the United States and in the state of Texas in 2016. Do I get a witness to that today? But when you remove Jesus, then you remove morality and values and truth. Am I talking to you today? When you take God out of the schools, then all of a sudden something happens and the bottom starts falling out or some uh, crisis or tragedy takes place and so the question starts coming and we hear so so where is god now well i want to remind you sweetheart you removed him from the schools so when you're questioning where is god don't forget you removed him you took him out of government properties and schools and any other place that you could you just got rid of him. And now you wonder where he is. We are living in a culture that removes God which then takes morality, values and truth from God's hands and puts it into man's hands. God help us. But let me tell you this. When God comes, he establishes the system. He establishes the standard. He tells us what the values are. He tells us what morality is. He tells us what truth is, even though we continue to push against him and we continue to resist him and we keep employing that nasty word we talked about a while ago, defiance. If anybody is here today that needs a reason to praise God, I'm gonna to praise the Lord, I'm gonna give you another one. I know some people, well, I just, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't, you know. You ought to praise him that you got up this morning. You ought to praise him that heart was beating in your chest. You ought to praise him that had blood flowing through your veins. You ought to praise him that you had air to breathe, that you were able to get to church and worship with other believers. All kinds of reasons to praise him, but I'm going to give you another one. Considering what I've just talked about, and that is this. We ought to be praising God for his restraint. I'm gonna use that thing Des used to do. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. We need to be praising an almighty God that every time we try to remove Jesus from any kind of situation, he shows his restraint. Whatever it is that is keeping him from abolishing us and wiping us off the planet whatever it is that allows him to put up with us, at what point should he be saying, I'm fed up with humanity and say enough? I probably would have crossed that line a long time ago. But the restraint of God is so amazing, and that's because he's stronger than we are. It's because he never gives up, though we give up all the time. He is always there, his character is unchanging, and what we celebrated last night in this very room, and we will again tonight, is the mere fact that God, in the midst of our condition, in the midst of our defiance, when we were enemies of God, God still sent his son and said, I cannot stand to be separated from you. I will send my son to pay the price for your sin. I'm not giving up on you. The Magi saw a star and they got to Jesus. But here's my one point. A good sermon is supposed to have three points and they should all rhyme or alliterate. I got one today, okay? And all of you are thankful say hallelujah. hallelujah. Not that loud, not that loud. Here's the one point you got to get today. <clears throat> the Magi saw the star and got to Jesus, but the Magi were not content... To simply say, we saw the star. They were not content to say, I went to church. I watched the worship team. Uh, Somebody stood and talked for a while, saw him. The Magi, I'm trying to draw the parallel for you here. The Magi were not content to say, we saw the star. Because to simply see the star and to not end up with Jesus is not going the distance. Somebody tell me you're listening to me today. To look up and see the wonder, to see the fireworks or whatever it was that took place in the sky that night. But to see the star and to not go any further is to not go the distance. They had to see Christ himself. And of course we know that when they finally saw him, as we just read, they bowed and worshipped him. The star wasn't enough in and of itself. It was part of creation, but it was pointing to the creator. And to simply see the star, that is not the place to stop. Hear me, creation, as marvelous as it is, as inspiring as it is, as beautiful as it can be in parts of this land and other lands, to behold, creation is never enough to get you to Jesus. Creation is simply the pointer, but creation is not God. The skies, the trees, the clouds, the oceans, the rivers, come on, there is no Mother Nature. Whoever came up with that? The Bible says God is the one who sends the snow from the vaults of heaven, according to the book of Job. God sends the clouds. He's the one who puts the dust beneath your feet. God is the creator of all this, not some lady buttering margin that we call Mother Nature. And here's what we must understand. We are to see the mastermind behind creation and not just creation itself. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Oh, there's a thought. Isn't it interesting that it was God's hands and His fingers that created the universe and hung the stars in space on nothing All the galaxies, the Milky Way. You know, everything we see is only one galaxy or others. And he did that with his hand. It's his handiwork in his fingers. But if you read Isaiah, it tells us that the arm of God brought salvation. So what does that mean? It takes more power to get you saved than it does to create the heavens and the earth. Think about that for just a second. To get stubborn, prideful, defiant man to bow before him, God tells us it's easier to create a universe than to get you to worship the Son of God. Let me show you this Psalm 19 from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Just hang with me here a second. Psalm 19. God's glory is on tour in the skies. God crafts, I love his poetic way, on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. Their words aren't heard. Their voices aren't recorded. Oh, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. God makes a huge dome for the sun, a super dome. The morning sun is a new husband leaping from his honeymoon bed. The day-breaking sun, an athlete racing to the tape. That's how God's Word vaults across the skies from sunrise to sunset, melting ice, scorching deserts, warming hearts to faith. But the revelation of God is whole. And pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. But if you stop at the star and don't go the distance. Then you will end up worshiping the star. If you do not go the distance. And if you stop short of the goal of seeing Jesus, then you end up worshiping at whatever point or whatever place you stopped. Romans chapter 1 says it this way. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything, though everything God made through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So what Paul is saying is, yes, yes, God gives revelation through his creation. It's wonderful. Yes, he does do that. But you don't stop there. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And so, as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They're clever. They, they think they got it all going on. But claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and Birds and animals and reptiles. He's saying that when you don't acknowledge God as creator, then you end up worshiping creation. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served God The things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Why? When you don't, church, go the distance and simply allow the guideposts or the signposts of creation to lead you to bowing before the sovereign almighty God himself, then you will end up worshiping because eternity is in your soul. There is something within you that does long to worship You will end up worshiping at whatever point you stop, understanding that we were all created to worship. So the question to you this morning, as I start to my first beginning to stop here, what are you worshiping today? What happens when people don't go the distance and stop short at the star? What would have happened if the Magi had been satisfied by simply going, oh, Look at that. Hey, Joe, look at that. Lovely, isn't it? Man, that one's really bright. Wonder. Looks like it's pointing to something, don't you think? Wonder to what? Okay, let's go eat. That's what men would do. What would have happened if the Magi had been satisfied by simply observing the star? Here's what happens you end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator, just as we read in Romans. Now, I'm fully aware. Some of you might say, oh, Pastor Dan, there's, there's, there's really no way that could happen here in 2016. I mean, we're the Bible Belt, and, you know, we, we understand this. That can't happen. Well, let me ask you this. Are you Sagittarius? Don't raise your hand. Are you Scorpio, Gemini, Aries? Now... I'm not a Starbucks person because I simply I don't drink coffee, but I have observed folks looking at their sign on the Starbucks products to see what their horoscope is for today. You may have seen that too. Why? Because men have not gone the distance and they have stopped short of getting to Jesus. So they worship the stars instead of worshiping the creator of the stars. You know what? I, my research says some 30-plus percent of this country check their horoscope on a regular basis and some do it daily, and that includes Christians. So this is going to upset some of you, but just to prove a point, I checked mine yesterday. I did it. And it was brilliant for December 3rd. It said this. The cards, Dan, didn't have my name in there. The cards show that you need to socialize more than ever today. And I thought, that's because I don't see enough people? And then it said, you should make... A transition in your lifestyle and career by indulging in work requiring communication with others. And it finished by saying, just be sure that you don't go overboard. They're too late for that. There's people who read this junk and rely upon it. Come on, people. Do you want to worship the stars? Or do you want to worship the one who created the stars, who hung them all in space on nothing? And named every one of them. Creation is designed to simply be a signpost pointing to Jesus. But man stops short and chooses to not go the distance. Oh, so how else might we apply this to us? We think if we get money, that's enough. And we stop there. And we worship money. I was told of a situation just last night where that happened with a couple. One of them began worshiping money. They didn't go the distance. They saw the money, which should have been a signpost to Jesus, actually. And they stopped there and worshiped money. Some of, we, some of us think if we, if we get married that our life is going to be fixed and prepare ourselves, you know, to, then what happens is we prepare ourselves to worship marriage. Can I just tell you, marriage does not fix your life. It's a wonderful thing. It is a good thing. Becky and I have been at it for 42 years. But once you think marriage is the goal and you stop to worship that, we think a doctor or science has the answer. Doctors are great. Science is wonderful. Marriage is terrific. Money can be a help. But none of them can satisfy your soul. And to not go the distance and stop short at science, money, position, title, marriage, relationship, is to end up worshiping at that point. But the wise men didn't stop at the star. They used it as a signpost and ended up kneeling before the Son of God and worshiping Him him as the true King of Kings. There's nothing wrong with science as long as you end up with God. Certainly nothing wrong with marriage as long as you realize there's not a man on this planet or a woman in this world who can meet the need of your soul. If God is removed, if he is eradicated from your life or situation, then you end up worshiping at whatever point you stopped. Somehow deluded into thinking that where you are will bring you fulfillment. Years ago, a songwriter, gospel songwriter named Lanny Wolf wrote a song, Only Jesus Can Satisfy Your Soul. Only he can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew, sweet love and joy, and heaven too, for only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Take your cue from the wise men this morning. The star is not the end. It's what they used to get themselves to the Savior. Whether you are a Christian or not, a believer this morning, I want you to ask yourself the question. Everybody in the room, Everybody, talking to all of us, starting with me, all of us. Have you gone the distance? Have you? If not, in the quiet of your own heart, can you recognize at what point you stopped? What was the exit sign that got your attention? What was it that derailed you and got you off the path? What is occupying your heart and your affections? Well, one really easy way to survey that is to look at your calendar and your bank account. What is taking your time and your money? And I'm not taking another offering this morning, so relax. Because what is, whatever is occupying your, your heart, because whatever, wherever your time and your money is going, that's what is occupying your heart and your affections. And though you may have a softer way of saying it, When you identify that which is occupying your heart and affections, then you have identified that which you are worshiping. I wish I could say it easier to you, but I have to be honest. And my challenge to you this morning is this don't stop there, make a commitment to go the distance. Recognize that God is speaking to you uniquely and distinctively in your language and He has placed signposts in your life. But they are signposts that have a purpose and that is to bring you to the point of kneeling and bowing and worshiping before Jesus. So why do we need to go the distance and allow every signpost in our lives to bring us before him in worship? Why is he worthy of your worship rather than the thing you've allowed to creep in? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to close this service as Pastor Brent comes. Because I want to present to you this morning. And I want you to breathe it in as I present it to you. Isaiah chapter 40. I ask you to open your heart and to meditate on how great God is as I read this. And you may respond in whatever way you wish. It might be lifted hands. It might be a shout. It might be a dance. I don't care what the expression is. I want you to take this in as I read to you from Isaiah chapter 40. Because I want us to see why he's worthy. Of everything you have this morning. Why? He alone is worthy of you going the distance. And not being derailed by any other thing that has come in your way. Verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? Oh no! For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. How great is our God. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all of Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble Him? Can He be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled uh, craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. When he blows on them and they wither, the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me, who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each one by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one of them is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. No one can measure the depths of His understanding. He gives power to the weak. Hallelujah. He gives strength to the powerless. Bless His name. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But they who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not faint. Who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Nobody! Why should we worship Him? Why should you stand to your feet and put your hands in the air and speak out your hallelujah this morning? Because there is no one like Him in heaven or on earth today. He is God and God alone. He has no comparison. How Great is our God. Put your hands together and bless him and give him your highest praise today.